In this week's episode, we look at why smartphones and social media suck us in. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. Hello and welcome to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. Today we're going to talk about one of the true David and Goliath stories of their modern era, the social media companies and the smartphone companies against you. But first, a story. So a few years ago, I had a credit card and I decided to cancel it. For reasons that are going to become obvious, I am not going to say the name of the bank that was behind the credit card. Anyways, I wanted to cancel this credit card. Anyway, so I call them up. I go through the whole number system in order to get to the people that will allow me to cancel the credit card. And I finally get to the right department. And I said, I want to cancel my credit card. And they said, you know what? Let's put it on hold. Don't cancel it. Just freeze it. This way you don't lose your interest rate. Uh, You've been with us for a while. Uh, It'd be a shame you lose your credit card points. Let's just put it on hold. And I said, no, no, I want to cancel it. And they convinced me to put it on hold, which is not what I wanted to do. Get off the phone. And I am very frustrated with myself because I went to cancel my card. I knew what I wanted to do. And they convinced me out of it. And I felt very silly, very foolish. So I call up my good friend, Mayor, and he's in the financial industry. And he says, was it this and this bank? And I said, yes, it was. How'd you know? He said, this bank is known. They have a special department that convinces people not to cancel their credit cards. He said, they are known in the industry to have the best department for hooking you in and keeping you hooked for convincing you not to cancel your credit cards. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to call them back. I'm going to stay on the line. We'll do a three-way call. And I'm not going to say anything. They won't know I'm there. And this way you'll have support in your quest to cancel your credit card. I said, okay, call back the company, call back the bank and get to the same department. And I said, I want to cancel the credit card. I said, oh, let's put it on hold. No, no, no. I don't want to put it on hold. I just spoke to somebody. They convinced me to put it on hold. I don't want to put it on hold. I just want to cancel the credit card. And they said, well, let's take a look at the interest rates. This is what your rate is. You've been with us for a while. Let's give you this rate instead. You keep the card. This way you have a good rate, blah, blah, blah. They could do the whole spiel. I say, no, I want to cancel. No, we're going to lose your points. We can give extra points. The whole spiel, the whole thing. And eventually I said, no, I want to cancel. Oh, we have to put it on hold. Does that? Eventually I get the card canceled. I fight, get it canceled, hang up with them. Back on the phone with my friend Mayor. My friend Mayor says, did you see my text? I said, no. He says, oh, you know, they almost got me. In fact, they did get me because I was listening to them like, wow, this is such a great rate. You're not going to get this rate elsewhere. You should just keep it. But good for you. You stuck to your guns. And I think about this story Because social media and smartphone companies have designed their products to hook us in and keep us hooked. They are Goliath, and they know all the tricks, some of which we're going to get to today. And they can convince people who know better. The problem is not knowledge. The problem is that the tools that they use to keep us hooked bypass our intelligent brain, bypass the knowledge, and go right to the things that really make us tick. They speak right to the parts of the brain that get hooked, that get addicted. I'm going to go into a few of 
the tools that social media and smartphone companies use today. But for a fuller understanding, I highly recommend the book Irresistible by Adam Alter. There's a link in the description. This was written in 2017, and the years since, things have only gotten worse. Now, I want to be clear. Today, we're going to look at how these things happen, how they keep you hooked. We're not going to talk about the negative impact that social media and smartphones have on people's lives. We're going to ignore the sharp rise in depression and anxiety in general and uh, the sharp rise in anxiety and depression in teens in particular. When social media became popular, we're going to ignore the decrease in active behavior. We're going to ignore the increase in isolation and loneliness. All of that is either for a different podcast or you can find the information yourself. Today, we're just going to look at how these things work. And the research is clear. Smartphones grab our attention. Even if we're not looking at them, if we're in the same room as our phone, a part of our brain is constantly checking, constantly looking to see if there is notification. Even if the smartphone is off, and this is crazy, even if we're asleep, if we're asleep and we're in the same room as our phone, a part of our brain is still trying to pay attention to whether or not we're getting notification. This draw on our attention prevents us from fully engaging in the world. It gets in the way of our relationships, gets in the way of our living our life. And the reason the pull is so strong is because the smartphones and social media are designed to, to trigger the dopamine centers. Dopamine is the feel good. It's the reward brain chemical that gets released when we do something positive. Dopamine gets released naturally by certain positive activities. However, certain activities will artificially release a higher level of dopamine. And if we engage in these activities on a repeated basis, the brain will lower its natural level of dopamine release in order to recalibrate. And now we need to keep doing those activities that release the large dose of dopamine in order to feel normal. This is what we call addiction. Addiction is the person engaging in an activity in order to feel normal because when they are not doing that, the brain does not release enough dopamine to feel good. In an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about the cycle of addiction and how to break it, how to recalibrate the brain so that the regular levels of dopamine are released. But suffice to say that until that cycle is broken, the natural pattern of the brain is thrown off. This is also why the first hit of whatever the behavior or the drug of choice is, is always the best because it's when the highest level of dopamine is released upon the natural brain and why addicts keep chasing that first hit, trying to get that feeling again. I was speaking to somebody who regularly uses TikTok and he described this process that you pick up TikTok, you find a very funny video, but it's short. And so you keep scrolling, looking for one that's as funny or as entertaining and because they're so quick, you keep looking and looking and looking and looking and looking, and you can never find one that's as good as that first one. But because the stream never ends, you never have to stop the search. And before you know it, a few hours have gone by. Now, what are some of these dopamine-producing experiences? Fun sounds, flashing lights, short animations, things that grab our attention. If you've ever engaged with any smartphone, these are the things that smartphones do. They provide us with short, fun noises. Little animations, flashing lights. In the designer's world, all of this stuff is called juice. This is the layer of surface feedback, whether it's seeing the image, hearing the sound, feeling the vibration that sits above the game's rules or sits above the program's rules. This is what makes 
games and apps fun. It's not the rules. It's not the programming that makes it fun. It's the juice, the thing that grabs our attention. An example of juice is if you finish a level of Candy Crush, you get that little flash, you get a little animation, little hooray. But it's not just games. It's the same attention pull when you receive a text message or an email come in, you hear a noise, you see a little flash on the badge, maybe get a vibration from the phone. It releases a microdose of dopamine and your brain has been trained to constantly look out for it, even when you're sleeping. Now, I do want to focus for a minute on online games, especially smartphone games. This is one of those things where if you think about it for a minute, if you look at it objectively, it boggles the mind why we waste so much time on games in our phone. I've been victim to this too. Why do we care so much? It's not adding anything to our life. There are better ways to relax. So the goal of all smartphone apps, especially games, is the same. It's to make money for the creators. If thousands or hundreds of thousands of users spend a dollar there or $10 there or even $99.99 somewhere else, it translates to billions of dollars annually, which is what online games and smartphone games earn. Okay, but how do the games pull us in? How do they get us to spend money? Because if if I gave you a game and said, you're going to spend $200 this year on a game, you would think very long and hard if this experience is worth it. But that's not what happens. The first thing they do is the game is free. Little letters with in-app purchases. But it's free. You're not going to spend any money. And then they start hitting you with the rewards. They start off with a lot of small rewards. They give them to you very often. And then they slowly start to pull the rewards away. But because you've been conditioned to earning those rewards, you will do what it takes to get those again, including spending money. What are the rewards? Well, they're kind of silly if you ignore the micro dopamine doses being released every time you get them. Let's use Candy Crush. When you finish a line, you get a little fun sound, you get the flashing score, you get a cute animation, and randomly you'll hear that deep voice going, Excellent. Good. All of these things reinforce and praise you, releasing that dopamine. In the beginning of the game, a game designer will have the player progress through the levels quickly. Also, all kinds of extras are thrown at the player for free. But as the play progresses, and as the player is hooked, these same rewards become less frequent and the levels harder, and those free rewards stop being free unless you pay money to unlock them. And it's only a dollar, it's only two dollars, but those dollars add up very quickly. And so the spending begins. But the twist is that it's a double trap, because when you finish a level, another level is given to you, and this one's even harder, and will likely need even more money in order to finish. To me, the most insidious payment plan are the games that are designed to limit how often you can play. Right? You get a certain amount of energy at the beginning of the day, every hour, whatever the timetable is. And once you run out of energy, you'll either need to wait until it replenishes, again, every 20 minutes, every hour, every 24 hours, whatever it is, or you need to pay money in order to continue. Generally, the more exciting and harder the levels are, the more energy you need in order to play them. And so the further you get in the game, the faster you run out of energy. And the goals keep moving farther and farther and farther into the distance. 
And there's another factor at work here, which is that the more we do something, the more we reinforce in our brain, this is something that's important to us. And so, again, using a game as an example, the more we play it, the more we tell our brain, this game is something that's important. It is vital to my life, even though, from an objective point of view, it's rather silly. But because we get hooked in, because we get caught up in the game, we spend more and more time there, and it becomes more and more personal, more and more important to who we are. Now, I keep talking about goals, and we are goal-driven creatures. We set out to accomplish something, and then we do that thing we set out to accomplish, for a little while we feel good. This is actually a very good thing. Goal-driven behavior moves us forward, not only as individuals, but as a species. Goals are important for survival and goals are important for happiness. However, as I'm very fond of telling my clients, everything has consequences. Some of those consequences are positive and some of those consequences are negative. And there are negative consequences to goal-driven behavior. The problem comes in the moment the goal is accomplished. In that moment, we get the high of accomplishing the goal. However, it is inevitably followed by the low of not having a goal to work toward. Every high is always followed by a low. Now we need another goal to work toward in order to make ourselves feel good. This is one of the reasons why living a values-based lifestyle is so important. If our goals serve our values, that low is to a certain degree mitigated. But if our goals are just goals in and of themselves, that is when the low comes. Here's some goals that people have for their smartphones. An empty email inbox. Not having that badge attached to the email app. An empty voicemail box. And when it comes to games, the game is designed to make that goal farther and farther away the more you progress. Each level gets harder and harder and takes longer to accomplish. And so we spend more time chasing the high, followed by the inevitable low when we do accomplish that goal, followed by another goal that's given to us right away. You will knock one level, here's another. It just keeps going. But social media has a different problem. With social media, the problem is creating impossible goals, impossible standards. Goals that corrupt our sense of self and our sense of happiness. Now we're coming across a phenomenon known as social comparison. So much of our identity is rooted in the very human, innate behavior of comparing ourselves to other people. Our ideas of what is good or bad, a lot or a little, healthy or unhealthy, a lot of that comes from looking at other people, looking at other situations, and comparing what they have or how they are to how we are. As an example, in Irresistible, Adam Alter talks about Wall Street traders, miserable with his $2 million income because the guy sitting next to him makes $10 million. For most people, a $2 million a year income would be a lot of money. But if he compares himself to the guy sitting next to him who makes $10 million, he's going to be unhappy. This is the same person that would have been happy six months ago with $150,000 sign-on bonus, is now unhappy with $2 million. On social media, we're being fed a never-ending stream of social comparisons, goals to match. So-called perfect bodies, expensive cars, making bank with minimal effort, meeting with important quote-unquote people, having experiences in exotic locations, at nice houses, having the most wonderful or precious or charming children, having the best experiences. All these are lies. They're all cherry-picked, photoshopped, frame deceptively, or just a straight-up untruth. 
But these are the things that people that engage in social media compare themselves to. Sometimes, even if they're real, it's the years of dedicated work toward achieving a specific goal that we can never accomplish in this moment. What this does is it kills our enjoyment of the real world and things that we already have. By comparing ourselves to an impossible or likely untrue standard, we're unable to enjoy what we have in the lives that we live. It all looks worse in comparison. Now, what's really insidious is that knowledge of this, knowledge that social comparison is happening, doesn't even help. Research shows that social media use and engaging in extreme social comparison bypasses the rational mind, borrows into our subconscious mind, and changes us and changes our values. On a certain level, in our day-to-day life, we are unable to stop it. All, like I said, so much of our identity is based in comparison, but the online world just makes it worse. And now we're spending our valuable time, effort, money, in other words, our life, on chasing a goal that doesn't really matter to us. Now, in my opinion, the worst goal is the like button. I think there's nothing that has done more psychological harm in recent memory than the like button. That hit of dopamine, that sense of validation we get when people approve of our behavior gets twisted when we're looking at hundreds or thousands or millions of strangers voicing their opinion about our activity and our opinions. Chasing likes is an ever-evolving, ever-changing goal. Not only are we comparing ourselves to other people, but we compare ourselves to ourselves in the past. If we put up a post on Facebook and it gets 100 likes, that feels good. But now I want more than 100 likes. And if I put up another post and it gets 200, and then I put up another and it gets 100 again, suddenly that 100 doesn't feel good. It feels bad. And I will do something in order to try to get that 300 goal. All of this only magnifies when we're talking about thousands or millions of likes. And if I do something and it doesn't get the amount of likes that I am looking for, the amount of approval, the amount of dopamine I'm looking for, well, I'm not going to do that thing again. I'm going to try something more extreme. I think there are two opposing factors that drive the quest for getting the likes. That is individuality or originality on one side and conformity on the other side. Conformity talks to how social media trends get started. In general, how do you know if you're going to like something? Well, you look at what you've liked in the past and you try to find something similar in the future. If there's an author you like, you'll probably read more of that author's books. If there's an actor you like, you'll watch that actor's movies. If there's a potato chip flavor you like, you'll try other brands with a similar flavor. If there's a color that you like, you'll buy other things with that color. If there's a clothing brand you like, etc., etc., etc. If I've liked something in the past, I'll try something similar to that in the future because chances are that I'll like that thing too. So what happens? A video goes viral. A lot of people like it. Suddenly, everyone's doing the same thing, trying to get a piece of the like pie. This is how internet trends happen. One person does something, gets very popular. Everyone wants a piece of that popularity. But if I'm a creator, I also want to stand out from the crowd I'm trying to be a part of. This is where originality and individuality come into play. To get the most likes... I want to not only be similar, but at the same time, contradictory, I also want to be the most different, the funniest, the most beautiful, the most extreme and risky behavior. These are things that satisfy that need for originality. This is where all kinds of attention-seeking behavior comes in. It encourages the most 
dangerous, the most non-sustainable extremes. People put themselves in physical or spiritual or emotional danger in order to get and grab the most eyeballs, the most likes. This explains why people, if they stopped and thought about it, would realize that they are exposing their soul to the public in extreme ways, will do so. They're exposing themselves to a great chance of getting hurt, of getting harmed, when people react negatively, not only positively. People lose themselves in these behaviors because even though it's quote-unquote just for show, as we've mentioned, whenever we do something, we're telling our brain, this is what I want to be doing, this is what's important to me, and our brain changes in kind. Behavior drives emotion, behavior drives thoughts. And when that extreme behavior gets tension, conformity kicks in. Now thousands of other people are trying it. Now it becomes the norm. Now to stand out, we need to be even more shocking. And for the people that are not creators, a different thing kicks in. Where now I'm searching all of them, trying to find the best one. And all this is not a thought-out process. It's something that we do naturally, trying to chase that dopamine high. So, if all of this is getting you down, what can you do? Alright, so here's some ideas. Uh, some of them might feel extreme and probably won't be able to do all of these long-term, but try some of these out. Number one, keep your smartphone away from your bedroom. Make your bedroom a phone-free place. Resist the urge to take it with you when you go to sleep. Buy an alarm clock. Keep it downstairs if you have two levels. I tell my clients to put their phone in a shoebox so that it has its own bedroom to go to sleep at night. You don't want to sacrifice the quality of your sleep by that part of your brain constantly searching for the dopamine high. Next, don't do games. They're a waste of time. They're a money suck. I will say that I've struggled with this myself. As much as I say to myself, I don't want any games on my phone, every once in a while, they magically appear. Don't do games. Next, try a social media detox. No Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, no TikTok, all of it. Just stop. Do it for a short, settled amount of time, a week, a month. Check in with yourself at the end of it. See how you're doing. Is it really worth going back online? For some people, this may be one of the hardest things to do. Here's another thing you can do. Force yourself to wait before checking your phone when you get the cue. So if you get a text message notification, force yourself to wait a minute or two before checking it. Break the instant gratification cycle, the thing that triggers that dopamine hit. And last, and I haven't mentioned this in the episode, but no wearable technology, no smartwatch. It just makes the addiction cycle that much shorter. It makes the pull that much stronger. Try out some of these solutions or try out one of these solutions. Break the cycle. Break the pull. It will improve your life. That's all I've got this week. Thank you for listening. I know this is a bit of a long episode, but I thought the extra time was worth it. This is such an important topic in our David fight against the Goliath, the billions-dollar industry. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself.